Welcome, fans of the Justice League universe. My name is Sam. My name is Rebecca. And we are two members of the JLU podcast team who enjoy analyzing the DC films released by Warner Brothers Studios. Other contributors to the analysis are Alessandro Maniscalco, Sydney, and Nick Begovich. You can find us all on Twitter, and you can follow the show at JLU Podcast. In this episode, we're focusing on Scene 5 of Justice League, which is the scene where Bruce Wayne heads up north to find Arthur Curry, the Aquaman. So, uh, Rebecca, let's get into the scene first by taking the kind of overall view, like take a, a high view up from like on a big old cliff overlooking the whole scene. Uh, what would you say are some of the key things that this scene contributes to like the movie as a whole? Well, just on a visual, I just uh, I think this scene is really uh, unique in the movie. It gives it a, a broader scope. It takes you to another location outside of the United States, and it gives it a, a more global feel, like the the things that are happening in this movie, the things that Bruce is trying to do has to go outside of himself. And so I really like that we get a get a broader scope. Lots of world building going on. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's nice to see Bruce have to get out of his backyard to go and try to find Arthur. Yeah, because another thing it contributes is the character development of Bruce actually like leaving behind his lonesome kind of isolated days of BVS and actually going and asking for help. That's a big thing. But you're right. He's asking for the help in a very broad scale. There might be, like, Bat family members that are in this universe. Uh, there might be Robins and a Nightwing or Batgirl kind of things. But those are all people that he collaborated with inside Gotham City. So this is very different. He is going to a whole other part of the world, and then that's where he's asking for help. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And it's nice to see that the character development that Bruce starts in Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice that continues here in Justice League where he's trying to reach out and and that's a that's a big step for this Bruce Wayne who uh, wanted to be a loner and wanted to do it on his own and because of his connection to Superman it's almost like the uh, if you seek his monument look around you he's he's having to take up the mantle that uh, was was dropped by Superman upon his death. Mm -hmm. He's able to pick that mantle up and and try to bring other people in with him, mm -hmm. which I think is really awesome. It, it it plays off of that idea. Yeah, and his promise to not fail Superman in death. So he's kind of realizing I might have to stretch my limits, get out of my comfort zone a little bit, but that's what I'm trying to do to honor Superman's example. And it's also a continuation of BVS where he tried to recruit Diana basically at the cemetery. And now that's continuing where he's trying to, to recruit some other characters. Oh, absolutely. Um, there is some thematic content to this scene. We talked before in our big episode where we did like the themes of Justice League. And one of them is stronger together or just the idea that if you join your forces together, you can accomplish more than you can by yourself. And that will be brought up explicitly in this scene with Aquaman kind of talking about strong man strongest alone and bruce kind of saying like no i'm trying to form an alliance like i'm trying to get people together so there that definitely ties into the main theme and i think that's interesting that bruce is having this back and forth with arthur and arthur tells him that because i think at some point bruce probably had that same thinking like he probably came from that attitude of strongest man is strongest alone like i think he shares that trait with arthur but bruce at this point has progressed Beyond that, he understands that you have to work together with people, especially when there's a big threat coming. Mm -hmm. And so Arthur seems like he's kind of at that 
beginning part of Bruce's former journey. I like to think about it like that, that there's a a hero's journey that they all have to go through in order to get to where they are at the end of the movie. So uh, I I think it's cool to get to see Arthur and Bruce in in that way, playing out that dynamic. Yeah, it's good that they can kind of relate to each other, just like you were saying. And I think it's nice, too, on the other side, that Diana and Cyborg can also relate to each other. Like where she is able to say to him, I know kind of what you're going through. I've been dealing with that same thing for a long time, and we can kind of work through it together. So it's good to kind of have pairwise the characters that have gone through or are going through a similar sort of situation personally. Uh, So I think that's pretty solid. With uh, One last thing with Arthur, I think that this definitely contributes is... It establishes this character of Arthur Curry as clearly he's a kind of a loner and he's this big burly guy, but he's, <laughs> we, we can already tell that he has a soft heart. Like he, he's gone out of his way to help this group that would like be very easy to just ignore and forget about off in this remote place. He has this soft heart, uh, big teddy bear kind of thing under his rough exterior. Yeah, I really like that about the way they portray Arthur in this because he does look like a really, you know, he looks like an intimidating, scary guy, but he's doing what he's doing to help this town of, uh, you know, this small town of villagers have something to eat. Nobody can get to them. Nobody else can help them. Like he is the only person who can get to them and help them out. And he does it just because he, he feels compassion for them. He wants to help them. And I think that's, that's the kind of thing that makes you a hero. It's not, you know, the fact that he might have a, a trident or uh, be able to, to talk to fish as they mention in the scene. Um, it's his ability to reach outside of himself and do something for other people. And I really, really like that because I think that even when he is wanting to push Bruce away and not, not join the fight, he's still a hero at heart. And I think that's what pushes him to eventually join the ranks of the Justice League and, and get in on the action. Yeah, definitely. All right, so let's go through the scene a little bit in detail. Uh, it starts with a nice transition through the white light um, going from Diana's bracelet blast to the kind of lighting of this scene and then the snowfall going through white. I thought it was a nice visual touch. And we have beautiful landscape like you were already talking about. Yeah, this uh, I thought was really great, especially the um, the coloring of everything. It gives it that cold feel to it. There's a lot of blues. And so it gives it that cooler look to everything. It really actually when I watch it, I'm like, ah, oh, maybe I should get a jacket or turn my heat up. Like it actually makes me, <laughs> me feel colder. <laughs> um, so I like that there there's intention behind uh, the way it looks so that it gives you that impression that you're in this cold place. And what I thought was really striking for me is that this scene is where we first get to really see Arthur Curry. We get to meet him. And and that, to me, uh, was flipping my expectation because when I think of Aquaman, I think of the oceans and the the warm weather and, and how nice it is to be at the beach. And here we are, we get to see Arthur in this cold area where there's a lot of ice and snow. And um, so that was not something I would have expected. So I like the the flipping of that expectation. Yeah, I agree. But then there's also the clear water. Like, so I, I mm. like it that we could see this water coming in, but it is in a different situation than you might have expected. So I thought that was a cool touch. Yeah. And when I looked up the location of where they shot this, I'm not even going to try to pronounce these locations because it's... Uh, uh, I'll, I'll give it a shot just for fun uh, since we're doing these it. live conversationally now. So <laughs> uh, Jupavikervoss waterfall from Jupavik village. <laughs> 
That's uh, we can go with that. Close enough. That's, that sounds that sounds good. Um, what I liked about learning about this location is that um, the website that I found said it was uh, only a population of about thirty people. Wow. So the uh, population that were shown in the movie might have been a reflection of this little town as it realistically might have been, because it seemed like it was uh, a small town that Arthur was trying to help out. So then if if this outsider comes in, and, and they seem like they're surprised for an outsider to come in, obviously. And so that might have been the whole town gets together because some stranger is here. Like, so that's, you know, everybody is interested in that. So it might have been the whole town in that building. Yeah, everybody knows everybody. And so when a stranger comes in, they're like, who is this guy? <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, That's pretty cool. I do, before we get fully into that uh, scene with the village people and stuff, I did want to point out that Bruce was riding a horse in the beginning of the scene. And there's been a lot of conversations online recently, even two years after BVS, people are talking about the horse symbolism, which both you and I separately were already like tuned into the horse symbolism of BVS as a marker of death and kind of tragedy. And so then I brought that here. I'm like, okay, now Bruce is riding the horse like productively, like on purpose, so I'm thinking, I'm reading this a little bit, but maybe now he has mastered the death and chaos of BVS, so he's in a new phase of life. I really like that, actually, because uh, th- in thinking about the horses in Batman v Superman, the the one that he interacts with personally in Metropolis, it's a, it's a riderless horse in the smoke. There are some horses that are being ridden in Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a horse that's being ridden during the Capitol bombing, but the other horses towards the end are the horses carrying the carriages of the coffins. Um, so that that's interesting. Like I, I like to think about that, especially with Bruce, uh, given the the riderless horse in uh, Metropolis. That that's a cool way to look at that. That now he's he's actually on the horse. He's taking charge. He's he's ready to go. So I I, I think that's a, a cool interpretation. Good enough for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we also at the top we had Bruce on the the cliff there, like at the top of the waterfall. All of us on the team were kind of making connections or drawing you know inspiration from that. For me, it's just a very Batman thing to do to stand on a high cliff and like overlook the town before you go into it. Alessandro thought about it as reminiscent of Batman in BVS when he's uh, at the seaport with the rifle and he's like standing on a crane or something and overlooking the port. So that's kind of two things that made us think about and you thought about it as something else too. Yeah, it's uh, it's sort of it has a little bit of a visual sim- similarity between Bruce looking like him him looking over the village is sort of similar to the shot in the apocalyptic future of the nightmare sequence in in BBS and and I, I agree that getting getting to the the highest point of a location is just a very Batman thing to do. Even it's even if it's re- totally ridiculous, like that seaport scene in in Batman v Superman, <laughs> where it's like, why <laughs> don't people see you up there? <laughs> like, maybe it's maybe it's dark and in the night. Maybe people don't see him very well. But it seems like it'd be pretty obvious that he, there's a guy standing up there. <laughs> hey, but uh, and if they saw him, it would take him a while to like get out of the way. <laughs> Yeah, because if they spotted me, like, oh, they spotted me. Now I'm going to climb down this crane. (laughs) Well, that's that's what grappling guns are for. I guess. um, (laughs) (laughs) But also, how did he get up there in the first place? But at least, at least with uh, Justice League in this shot, 
he he's ridden up there on a horse. It makes a lot of sense, and and it makes sense for why he's there. He's overlooking the village, trying to get the layout of the land and try to figure out what's going on. But yeah, Batman going up to a, a high point to uh, assess his surroundings is that's just classic Batman. Mm-hmm. And then a few more things about Bruce before we do go into the you know the dialogue with the the city people and stuff. Um, Al- Alessandro noticed that this is Bruce, not Batman. Like he didn't swoop in as Batman and state of the shadows and then try to like talk to Arthur Curry privately. He comes in clearly as Bruce Wayne himself, offering money and like the kinds of things that Bruce Wayne has. And he's not trying to use fear like the tool of Batman. He's qu- kind of shifting gears a little bit and he's trying to use more like hey, we need to get together. There's a threat coming. We should try to like help out and save people. So it's a different kind of tactic, and it's one that's more appropriate to Bruce. Um, so that's one thing. The other th- couple things about um, Bruce here at the beginning is I watched the trailers for Justice League, and I really fell in love with the trailer that starts this way mm. with uh, Bruce up here on the horse. And the take that's in that trailer, when it shows like the him at the top of the cliff... He like pulls his goggles up and then he pulls his like scarf down off of his mouth. And it's like a really subtle thing, but I just really fell in love with that take. And then they used a different take here um, where he just kind of already has his mouth exposed. So I don't know why they didn't like the trailer take, but I kind of preferred that one. Or at least I got really attached to it just from watching that trailer so many times. That's interesting. It's almost when I see the goggles and the the scarf, it almost gives the appearance of a Batman cowl. Hmm. So and and to Alessandro's point, when he takes off the the goggles and the the scarf, that would indicate that he's just Bruce. He's not being Batman. He is Bruce in that scene. And and, and I think that's a really good point to to make because I think this Bruce Wayne in Justice League has really taken that Martha moment to heart he's now wanting to try to connect with people on a personal level he's he's not gonna pass judgment on them before he tries to physically go after somebody like he did with superman he he judged Mm -hmm. superman from afar Mm -hmm. and made incorrect judgments about him which Mm -hmm. ended up in a whole slew of mess (laughs) Mm -hmm. but here in justice league he's actually going taking that proactive measure to go meet Arthur and talk to him face to face and learn about him and, and get to know him as a person. So I think he's really learned that lesson. That's a great point. Um, that's very insightful. So my next thing will just seem very petty, but uh, <laughs> a lot of people have noticed the beard is on his face, which like, again, they, they, you know, we know that they've made some changes from like an earlier version of the movie to what was released and if the scene two with Batman and Gotham, if that was a either a reshoot scene or a little bit different scene, but anyway, that scene included the line like "We're going north tonight." So if if they're going north tonight, and then if it takes you know at most a day or two to if you have that private plane to get up there, and then a little time to go inland, it seems like more than a two day beard on his face, in my view. Well, I had a question about that because I don't know anything about growing a beard. So I was curious about how long does it take for a man to grow? I mean, that's a glorious beard. Like it's a full beard. It's Um, nice. It's not long, but it is like thick, you know, so it's not like it's just a day or yeah. So I I was curious about that. I was like, does that take a week? How long does that how how long does that normally go? Yeah, I'm not I'm definitely not a facial hair expert. But my like guess would be at least four or five days if you're a person who has like pretty thick whiskers. Um, And then he kind of, you know, it's it's like trimmed up short, like it's not all shaggy, but just the fullness of it uh, seems 
like multiple days. So that's why I thought it was weird in scene two that he says like tonight, like they could have just said, we need to go north. And if all, if they had just left it at that, there'd be no continuity error. Yeah. You could just assume that maybe that it was a week later. It took a while to plan it. And yeah, that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. I wonder if it was a, a strategic move on Bruce's part to grow a beard because that would give you a little little more warmth on your face. If There's you're going definitely to an old man place. in the village who has a much, much longer beard. <laughs> <laughs> he gets a nice close-up, and that one took quite a long time to grow, I think. Smart but yeah, Bruce man, was probably. maybe trying to fit in. He knows it's a bearded culture. Oh, maybe. <laughs> but it also, the, the like uh, saying that we're going to go there tonight makes it almost seem like happenstance, like... I saw this parademon, and now because of this info, we need to go up and try to find Aquaman. But the way that he talks about the King Tide makes it seem like it's much more planned and methodical. Like, I looked at the calendar, I found out your habits, I figured around this date you're going to be in town. Not like happenstance, like, oh, let's go tomorrow and hope that he's there. Yeah, I, I, I really like that attention to detail about the King Tide, because before the movie came out, I had no idea what a King Tide was. I didn't know that was a thing. So um, I, I did a lot of research on, on King Tides, and I, I think it's really fitting that they use it, especially for Arthur, you know, connects him to being the King of Atlantis. Mm-hmm. And I, I had a lot of questions about the king tide because I, I didn't know if uh, Arthur could control the king tide or if this, oh, yeah. this was just the natural occurring phenomenon that happened in this location. So um, I, I think that uh, th- those ideas about king tides and associating it with Arthur's uh, a really great way to put that in there. Yeah, I thought that was really nice too. Uh, I think it's Nick from our team that like just he, he assumes it's the natural king tide, and so it's sort of like this stranger comes on this natural event. But we really don't know the extent of his powers um, and if he could control something like that or or just influence it maybe like that. I don't know. But yeah, let's go into that where we do have Bruce coming in. So we mentioned that as Bruce heads down there, he's a stranger. It's you know everybody's kind of looking at him like who's this guy. And then he he immediately gets an audience with kind of the village leaders is what it seems to me. And then Bruce says his thing about, um, I'm asking for your help. So that's what we mentioned about this Bruce character arc. Like, that is different. (laughs) For Bruce in this movie, at the beginning of the movie, to be saying, I'm asking for help, that is just completely a growth from where he was in BVS. It's admitting his humility. He, he knows, th- I mean, that's a hard thing to do to ask for help. I mean, especially for Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's a, it's a big, big deal for him. And, and, and that's, of course, tied into other moments in the movie as well. And especially comes, comes to mind the, uh, the scene on top of the roof in Gotham, I think it is, when uh, James Gordon re- uh, remarks that Batman's playing well with others again. So him being able to reach outside of himself is definitely one of the big character traits for uh, Batman slash Bruce Wayne in this film. Yeah. And what I like about it here is that we get to hear Bruce kind of talk about this Aquaman character. So we we find out, okay, Bruce has been digging this up. He's been trying to gather information. But I think it's nice to hear somebody else give um, exposition and some character insights to Aquaman. Like he's a stranger, but he comes here and he brings food when you need it, like that sort of thing. I think that's a nice way rather than like Aquaman saying about himself, you know, like I try to help these people or, you know, a, a worse writer would have like the character explain their own actions and their own patterns. But I think it's nice here that we actually hear Bruce describing Aquaman's stuff. Yeah, and I like that there's a little tension in that scene between the two of them because it's like Bruce 
telling him that he knows who he is. Mm -hmm. And Arthur's like, I know you know who I am, <laughs> but I'm going to play like I like I'm not that person. So there's this tension of they kind of know what the what the game is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, and it, it kind of comes to a head when Arthur throws him up against a wall. But uh, I like I like the way that there's some seriousness and the, the tension that that's played there. Yeah, I also agree that it, it builds up to that and it's kind of a, a good momentum to the scene. Now, I think some people might say that we didn't get enough exposition about this village. Really, the exposition is more about Aquaman. And I would say that's okay. Like, what we really need as an audience is we really just need Aquaman. It's cool to have this setting and this kind of location. Um, but, you know, for the plot, we don't really need to know much more about these people. Sorry to say. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair assessment. The The only things that I have questions about in terms of the people in the town are obviously it's like, you know, what is the deal with the drawings that are on the wall? Yeah. Is that is that a legend that has been passed down uh, in a, like an oral tradition over the years? Those are the kind of things that I, I kind of want to ask as an audience member. I, I want to know more about that the history of the town and, and how uh, Atlantis plays into it. Have they had those experiences in previous years? Have they met other Atlanteans other than Arthur? Do they know that Arthur is from Atlantis? That I have so many questions when I when I want to dig into it uh, more. Yeah, that's definitely fair. To me, it's kind of like I just make the assumption like this remote town is maybe sort of in contact with Atlanteans, not just Aquaman, but I don't know that for sure because Maybe they're not. Um, maybe it's just Aquaman. But the drawing seems to show this, like, you know, underwater people. Um, Arthur calls it ancient history, so it could just be town legends, but maybe nobody, like, really believes them or haven't confirmed them. So that's, yeah, that, those are definitely legitimate questions. And, it, and that's one of my critiques of the scene is that it's a little bit too explicit or, like, too on the nose with the description or pointing to those boxes. Like, you know, Bruce looks at them, the camera pans through all of them, and then that's like maybe okay but then bruce says like tell me about those boxes like it's just everything is so explicit my style is a little bit more subtle where like the audience has to kind of pick it up a little bit more but they've done that before too like with the parademon it's like okay here are these three boxes it's weird like where did those come from we have questions about why a parademon would explode and show the three boxes but then they also make it explicit, like Bruce and Alfred literally say, hey, it's those three boxes. Yeah, it's the three yeah. boxes. Like, <laughs> like they say it out loud so that people can just like pick it up straight from the dialogue instead of having to like watch the movie. So it happens again here where it's like there was some sort of directive to like make sure the audience gets really force fed these three boxes. Yeah, I, I agree that uh, my preference in storytelling is uh, for, for the the film to make me think a little harder. This this kind of way of going about it just straight up tells you what you're supposed to know, and mm -hmm. that's that's not as fun for me. Mm -hmm. um, just personally, as a viewer, I like to engage. I like to figure things out. But yeah, yeah here it's like remember the boxes. Remember <laughs> you saw them earlier. There they are again. People might say like, oh, yeah, this is foreshadowing, you know, the mother boxes. I'm like, I feel like foreshadowing is is that moment where I finally notice something and I have like an aha, like, oh, cool. I'm so like proud of myself almost for noticing it because you can kind of tell it would have been easy to miss. This one's like nobody's going to miss this. Like they literally bash you <laughs> over the head with it multiple times. So for me, it's like not even foreshadowing. It's just literally 
foreshadowing or I don't or it's I don't know. I think it is foreshadowing the scene when we actually get to go to Atlantis and Steppenwolf tries to take the mother box there. Yeah. That's yeah, it, oh, that's yeah, kind of what's it, it shows it's foreshadowing the one that's down that in moment. The water. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, it is foreshadowing. It's just I, I should give it credit for that. It is foreshadowing. It's just nobody's gonna miss the foreshadowing. Like so you yeah. know, it's it's not one that you have to be clever to pick up. I agree. Yeah. So uh they're talking about that. Bruce kind of offers some money for the stranger. Um Arthur's kind of cocky about it, you know, ha- has a little laugh at Bruce's expense with the language barrier. But then Bruce notices the boxes, so now it's kind of getting a little bit more intense. Like, it's not just this vague, you know, danger that's coming. Now Bruce is kind of showing interest in um, some things that Arthur knows about. Um, and then Bruce, Bruce's final straw is he actually says At- Atlantis. And now that's when it's kind of like all of the stuff you were saying, Rebecca, that was kind of like this tension under the surface. And they were kind of playing a game with each other, dancing around each other. Once Bruce says Atlantis by name, then Arthur's like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, the the jig is up. Arthur realizes that whoever this guy is, he knows exactly what's going on, and that can mean serious business. And there's obviously I, what I like about the way they play Arthur in this this moment is that you kind of know that there's some something about Atlantis that makes him a little tense. Mm-hmm. There's something going on there in his backstory. So we have something to look forward to with the Arthur character learning more about his his character and where he comes from. So I think that that's a big moment for him. Yeah, and a little, little bit later in the scene, there's also a nice little tease because Arthur says, the Atlanteans are always telling me to do this, and now you're trying to tell me to do that. Um, and to me, that's also kind of intriguing, right? Like, what's his relationship to the Atlanteans? Are they trying to boss him around? Are they expecting him to be a certain thing? And he doesn't want to be that, so that's why he has kind of, like, gone off to his own space and not really a part of either world. But just that quick line, uh, I thought, is a nice setup, and it makes me intrigued for the Aquaman movie. Yeah, it tells you a lot about uh, the the different pulls of his character, of of him being someone who's from the surface but also someone who has ties to uh the the underwater world um so yeah it it, it definitely has me intrigued mm-hmm. now when bruce is up on the wall that's it's nice because you know bruce is a solid guy um but arthur is able to just manhandle him pretty easily so it's giving you a little glimpse of his strength but i like it uh, to me it feels very comic booky when bruce is against the wall and then he just starts kind of describing aquaman protector of the oceans, you know, the Aquaman. I hear you can talk to fish. To me, those seem like speech bubbles right out of a comic book. Oh, yeah, 100%. So that's a a nice little beat to end the interior part of the scene. Um, And then we go outside and they're kind of continuing the conversation. So, you know, Arthur was not actually threatening Bruce physically. It was just a little bit of a kind of manly showdown. But they actually (laughs) are going to, you know, he is going to hear him out. He is going to like you know, figure out, okay, what do you know about me? Why are you here? So then they have that conversation outside. Yeah. And I, I like getting to go out into this location. We we're kind of mostly in this little, I don't know, uh, meeting room or uh, someone's house, wherever this is. Mm-hmm. So I, I like being out in, in more of Iceland. Um, the, the disappointment for me in this scene is that uh, I, I, it just seems like there's more that was shot there. I mean, they actually physically went to Iceland mm-hmm. to shoot this, this scene. 
and uh, some of the shots are green screen and it kind of takes me out of it a little bit. So I, I, I sort of cherish some of these exterior scenes where the, uh, Arthur and Bruce are walking together because some of them you can clearly see are from that actual location, uh, yeah. whereas the, the green screen is more noticeable. Um, but it's nice to actually see, see more of the village. Yeah, I totally agree. The two close-up shots on Aquaman, this is when he's down by the water um, and he has his shirt off. There's two shots where it's kind of a close-up on Arthur and those two, to me, look like a green screen has been used in the back and like his kind of skin, the way it's lit, it seems just a little bit different and it's kind of like, oh man, like it's so beautiful here. I just wish it would have been consistent like on every shot. Yeah, same same here. You, you can definitely tell that there is a difference in the way it looks and that i i just think that's so unfortunate for <laughs> for the location for for iceland it's so beautiful there and it had such a uh, an atmosphere uh so you know i guess it's one of those things that that's that's what they chose to do with it but uh but it's it's nice to see more of the exterior location yeah there's definitely you know most of the shots are, are looking pretty good um, and we get the start of Arthur teasing Bruce about, you know, you do it dressed like a bat. So that's going to have a callback later, I think, which works pretty well. I, I think that's so funny because with Arthur and all of the things that he can do, he he can swim s- super fast. He has those shark-like eyes <laughs> and he's making fun of Batman. Uh, you know, some, somebody could uh, make fun of him later if they really wanted to. <laughs> and maybe that's a play on the fact that Aquaman has been the butt of a lot of jokes over yeah. the the last couple of decades, and here he he gets to take a take a pot shot at Batman for being a little silly. <laughs> yep, yeah, I think that's a nice turnaround. That's pretty cool. Now, some people say like, "Hey, they're talking about Batman right in the open," but I just assume nobody speaks English, so it's like it's totally safe. The secret is safe the way that the people are there, so I don't think that's a problem. Um, Arthur also gets a shot in at Gotham, uh, calls it a derisive name. Um, and Bruce doesn't really disagree. He kind of realizes that Gotham has its problems, but he says, you know, well, I've been working for 20 years. Like I'm, I'm trying to work on it and, uh, trying to see if I can help the city, even though it has its problems. Yeah. And I think that it's neat that Arthur knows about Gotham. I think one of the things that I think about when I think about the villagers not caring about the, the Batman thing is that they may not, they may not care. They may not know anything about Gotham city. But uh, Arthur seems to know about Gotham, so he mm-hmm. he's he's at least aware of Gotham City and its presence and what it's like. So yeah. he does have some history there. Yeah, and maybe because it's a port city, like maybe that's why Arthur is more knowledgeable about it. Ah. He might not know very much about like Missouri, where I live here, because it's very far inland. But yeah, true. Maybe he's maybe he's swam up to Gotham sometime. <laughs> And now Bruce kind of says, you know, okay, you protect these people. And Arthur's like, well, because nobody else will. So that shows that heart at the inside of Arthur that we were talking about. He is, you know, altruistic at his core. But then Bruce kind of tries to take that altruism and extend it to all of mankind. Like he says, well, maybe you should help everybody. And then he, and Arthur doesn't seem open to it. Like he doesn't want to help in this bigger cause. And so then Bruce says, well, is it because mankind is melting the polar ice caps, destroying the ecosystem? So maybe Arthur is kind of, you know, opposed to mankind because they're damaging the environment. And that and a lot of times Aquaman is kind of as a character is tied into sort of environmental causes because of the ocean is, you know, so obviously linked and the, you know, big part of the planet. 
Yeah, and I think even if Arthur tries to play it off like Bruce's words don't stick with him, I think I think they probably do. Mm-hmm. I th- I think mm-hmm. deep down he cares about whether or not people are boiling in the oceans, um, and if the oceans boil and uh, become less of a, a, resor- a resource for the world, I think he does care about that stuff. So even if he plays it off like he he doesn't, I think he does care. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of times you have to plant the seeds and then they'll sprout later. I agree with that. Oh, yeah. Um, and this ties into, I'll just mention really quickly, like we've we've identified a theme of all of the Justice League Universe movies. The theme being, is humanity worth saving? And each movie kind of shows you a different flawed aspect of humanity. But in the end, the movie always say, says, yes, it is worth saving. And so here we get the kind of environmental aspect. I would say that it's not fully developed in this movie. But it at least does get mentioned, you know, like, hey, humanity doesn't always treat the environment well, but we should still save them is like the conclusion by the end. Yeah. And I think that theme running through all of the movies is shown through the characters actions that they um, that they display even when they're not superheroes like you have in Man of Steel, Clark helping um, the people along his journey before he puts on the suit, you know, the, the people on the fishing boat, the people on the rig, the people in the diner, he helps out all of those people. Um, Diana helping, um, the wanting to help the village, even though Steve's like, no, we don't have time for, we, we can't do that. Um, so I think you see a lot of these heroes in the DCEU choosing to help people because they, they do think humanity is worth saving. Mm -hmm. Now, Bruce brings up Superman, he says, you ever hear of Superman? He died fighting next to me. And then there's a clever little rebuttal here from Arthur, which is like my point exactly. Like, why should I join you if the last guy that joined you died at your side? So I thought that was a nice little line from Arthur. But bringing up Superman is kind of interesting because they're getting down to the water and Arthur is like taking off the jacket and the sweater um, and then leaving it there. And people on Twitter have pointed out that this is almost kind of a reversal of Man of Steel, where where uh, Clark comes out of the water and then grabs a jacket to put on. And now here we have Arthur taking off the jacket and going into the water. Yeah. And it, it shows that he, it doesn't, it doesn't phase him. Like it's uh, for some reason, the cold, I, I don't know if the cold doesn't bother him, but it's a, uh, it's a neat thing to point out that maybe, maybe he's giving that sweater to someone else. Maybe the jacket and all that stuff goes to somebody else in the village. Whereas Clark and man of steel, he had to unfortunately take that, those, those things from somebody else uh, to, to help himself um, just because that, that was something that he needed in the moment. Although those clothes were going to someone in need and Clark was in need. So mm-hmm. that's a whole thing. Uh, but that's, that's a, a nice uh, reversal. Yeah, um, definitely. So with Aquaman, Arthur here, we get, you know, some character stuff that we've already touched on a little bit, um, but we get the line about the strong man is strongest alone. Um, and then, Bruce says, you know, it's kind of funny. He says that's not a saying. That's the opposite of what the saying is. So I think Bruce, Bruce is just taking this general idea of you're stronger together or, you know, you're, you know, um, what is it? Lots of pencils can't be broken or whatever it is. You know, like that is a general idea. But the funny thing is that there actually is a quote, at least, about the strong man is strongest alone. I wouldn't really call it a saying because it's not like a common thing that people just say as, you know, a really you know, prevalent mantra. But there is a quote from Friedrich Schiller, who does say, basically, that the strong man is strongest alone. He's a German philosopher and poet, and he was a friend of Van Goethe. Um, So it's at least a quote, even if it's not a saying. 
Yeah, I, I didn't know much about that. So it was it was good to uh, learn more about the, the history of maybe where that came from. Um, because it is some something that you have to you have to wonder about, like what 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 does that actually mean? Does somebody somebody want to refuse being part of a team, uh, refuse help from anybody? And that that kind of mindset, I'm very intrigued by that because you would think that the default position would be, oh, it's better to work with a team. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm very intrigued by that that quote. Yeah, I think there's more context to it, probably where that philosopher is coming from. I think some people might say in art that sometimes a like a pure artist's vision is better than like collaborating and then you end up kind of like compromising on your vision and stuff like that. Um, some people might even talk about that even with respect to this movie. Um, but it's also just kind of a auteur theory where they say like if you have a kind of an artistic genius and you let them pursue their solitary vision that that leads to better art than doing like art by committee. Mm. I don't know if von Sch- uh, Friedrich Schiller is coming from that perspective, but it's something that I definitely think of. But for Arthur, it just uh, it clearly establishes a starting point for his character arc. So he's starting by saying, I'm a loner. Uh, I want to be a loner. I feel like it's best to be a loner. And by the end, he will learn the value of, you know, collaboration. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's a, an effective way to start a character arc. And I think they do follow through on that character arc. So I give kudos to the filmmakers on that. Yeah, they do get him to that point B from where he starts. Yeah. And uh, Ben Affleck talked about this theme just overall for the movie for a lot of the characters. And he called it multilateralism, like, you know, working together rather than in isolation. So, yeah, definitely some stuff there. But, yeah, um, Alessandro has some things that he really liked about this um, where he says, you know, Arthur Aquaman, this loner thing is almost kind of just saying that he hasn't really accepted himself. He doesn't really have his place yet in the world or what kind of hero he wants to be. Jason Momoa, uh, Alessandro pulled this quote for us, but I really appreciate it. But Jason Momoa said that to me, Arthur is like Josie Wales from the Clint Eastwood movie, The Outlaw Josie Wales. He's so defiant, and then he meets the Justice League, and they become this family. So making some kind of, you know, cross-film connections in terms of the character out, character art. Oh, that makes, that makes me want to watch that movie. I've never seen that movie. But uh, the way that Jason Momoa plays him, he, I, I'm assuming that The Outlaw Josie Wales, is, is that a Western I think so. I don't. I haven't seen it, but I think Josie Wales is a Western character. It sounds like a Western, and so the the way that Jason Momoa plays that, he almost seems like that kind of outlaw, loner type. So uh, I can I can definitely see that if that's the case. So I'm I'm gonna have to check that out. Yeah, cool. Um, let's see, what's the last little beat? So Arthur has the doesn't mean I'm wrong, and then the scene ends with Bruce kind of putting that back to him. Like, Arthur says, you're crazy, Bruce Wayne, I think it is. Oh, yeah. And then Bruce says, that doesn't mean I'm wrong. So a nice little, you know, echo of each other's lines. And we get Aquaman. Oh, we see a little bit of Aquaman bursting through the water, but we don't get a good look at it. So it's almost kind of a tease. Yeah, and I like that line from Bruce that he's he's very confident in what he's doing. He's like, it doesn't mean that I'm that I'm wrong. It you know, well, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that I'm wrong. I think that's I'm trying to make sure I say that correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's very true. Like this might seem outrageous to somebody, it might it might seem crazy to somebody, but Bruce is doing the right thing, and he's he's doing what he's doing because he's seen parademons. He knows what's coming. He's he's had the Flash come into his Batcave and give him some kind of message. He knows something is up, 
and he's doing the right thing. It just seems a little nuts <laughs> to people when he's trying to recruit them. So I think to see that confidence in Bruce that he's doing the right thing and he knows he's doing the right thing I, is very refreshing, especially after the events of uh, Batman v Superman. Mm-hmm. So I think we have a note here from uh, Nick, if I'm not mistaken, uh, reading from our notes. And he talks about Bruce being a prophet character. And he brings up the idea about how in BVS we saw Bruce having dreams and those dreams were kind of important to Bruce. And then he's kind of a prophet because in some of the dreams, the things are actually going to come true. Like he dreams about uh, something about Superman or a threat of Superman and then a threat actually does arise, uh, things like that. So it's been unique in the sense that he is like a normal human. He doesn't have these superpowers, obviously. But if he does have this like prophetic ability, that almost makes him kind of part of a metahuman team. So that there's connections that Nick makes here to the to the um, comics about this, uh, and connections to Arthurian legend, um, which our Alessandro's looked at, and Nick is also kind of passionate about connecting Excalibur to all of this um, Zack Snyder stuff that we're doing. But a lot of connections to be made there. Do you see anything about Bruce as kind of a prophet, or how how does that kind of ring to you? I like the way uh, of thinking about that because uh, prophets do bring a message. They they bring a message that sometimes is received, but sometimes has a little pushback to them. Um, so I think that is a, a good way to describe Bruce in Justice League, especially in the, the beginning of this movie, and especially in this scene, is that he's trying to convey a message to uh, other people and especially to... To Arthur here, he's trying to tell him, like, there's something coming. I need your help. And he is, uh, I guess in some ways he thinks maybe he struck out that maybe Arthur said no. But uh, I think this this is, like you said, the, the little seed that um, gets planted in Arthur to, to help him eventually join the ranks of the League. And I, I think that that's, I think calling Bruce a, a prophet here, I think is a good way to describe him. Yeah, and I should also mention that the uh, the echo with Man of Steel and the, the jacket and the water, um, that was actually Nick. So I'd forgotten who I heard that from. Uh, I thought it was just somebody on Twitter, but that, no, actually it was Nick. So I need to give him credit for that because I think that is a nice little parallel in reverse. I thought that was pretty cool. Nicely done, Nick. All right, I think that will do it for us on uh, Scene 5 of Justice League. Next up, we're going to switch back over to Wonder Woman, try to keep making progress there. We will have Scene 25, where Steve is recruiting Samir and Charlie. Um, And thanks so much for listening. And as usual, we give our plug to Suicide Squadcast and Man of Steel Answers. They don't ask us to do that. We just like to do it because we appreciate their work.